The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by former divorce attorney Eric Newton. After working as a divorce lawyer for almost 10 years, Eric, a self-described romantic, decided to use the knowledge he gained to help couples have healthy relationships. He created together both a podcast and an online magazine that features the stories of couples and offers relationship advice. Eric joins us virtually from San Francisco, California. Eric, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Hamda. It's really, really great to be here. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the hobbies that you expressed an interest in. One that you describe yourself as an avid surfer and a huge, <laughs> a huge sci-fi fanatic. And you also say that you're fascinated by the question of whether we live in a base reality. Made famous by Elon Musk in a speech recently. Now everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Oh, excellent. And I want to add this last part, too, because I find this combination really interesting related to the content of relationships. You say also that you filter your daily experience through the question, what is true? And so I'm thinking actually about the relationship between these different passions and how the common themes they reflect relate to the work that you do to help people get the best out of relationships. Mm, Yeah. Do you want to know what my thoughts are on, on how they all come together? I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, so I, I think it's probably easiest to start from the perspective of this question of the base reality. And, and, and for your listeners who don't know what that is referring to, uh, it's, it's this inquiry into whether the experience that we're having is, uh, is a simulation of some kind, or if it is uh, the fundamental, corporeal, uh, real reality. And the idea is that if it's possible to create virtual environments that are indistinguishable from the, the base reality, it's likely that we're in a simulation rather than the base reality. And, uh, you know, this is just sort of, this has been a... a an inquiry that, you know, scientific inquiry or, or a sci-fi inquiry, I guess you could say that a lot of people have uh, conducted for, a lo- for quite a long time. And then Elon Musk made it famous in a speech recently where he said that he thinks we're probably not in the base reality. And it's just, it's kind of a, it, you know, it's a fun thought experiment to begin with. That's, that's the, probably the easiest way to look at it. But what it makes available for me is the question of, if we can't know which reality we're in, or we can't know if our experience is valid, um, then what? Then what matters? You know, <laughs> really, what matters? And uh, it's from that place that I I like to explore relationships. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because what I was seeing is this dynamic tension that's very characteristic of relationships, where we are navigating what is possible with what is realistic. Oh, well, that's a frame I hadn't considered. What's possible versus what's realistic. Say more. Well, in relationships, and depending on what our exposure has been, this relates to, I think, what we're going to focus on in this segment about your ideal mate doesn't exist, according to you. And we'll hear more about that. But the idea is that 
we have to distinguish between reality and fiction. And, and we're trying to decide also what's realistically attainable, what's possible, right? And I think that's where a lot of people have conflict, like searching for a mate, right? And this whole notion of settling. And, yeah. you know, what, what are, sometimes you don't even know actually what your vision is, but you know that something doesn't match, you know, somehow what you thought you would wind up finding. I think that's more accurate to say that most people don't know what it is that they want. You, you know, I think most of us, m- most of us have this idea of what we want that's concocted from a lot of, a lot of feeling that's unexplored. And, and most of that feeling is really, when we get right down to it, reactions to some kind of fear that we've had you know, strategies that we've come up with to resist some sort of fear that we've experienced in our life. So much of the human experience is just avoiding pain or avoiding fear. Which definitely parallels a lot with surfing. Right? Because, (laughs) right? Surfing is, right? We're talking about riding the wave. You're looking for that big wave. And you want to be able to ride it to fruition, Right. See how it unfolds. There's a spontaneous element to it. And then, of course, there's a lot of preparation. And then aside from the big wave, though, you you might practice with small waves and you can find satisfaction riding small waves of all sizes or waves of all sizes and continuing to ride also through the fears that might nudge you after you have some difficult falls. So so I was like looking at all of these passions of yours and I was like, wow. (laughs) It just seems that there's so many parallels to yep. the realities that people face in relationships. I love that you've tied all that together in a way that I've never considered. I have to say, just to, on the point of surfing, for me, it's really about letting go of fear. You know, it's about, it's about being as present as possible and letting all these different elements that don't normally go together, you know, water, buoyant foam, uh, speed, and a person kind of manipulating all of them at one time to create this sense of release and freedom that is pretty much unparalleled. I would guess that people can describe relationships that way too. I think probably true. (laughs) (laughs) I really love that. Right? Because sometimes you actually think that certain things don't go together and that's what can create a lot of distress. You think, well, I don't know. I don't know if we're compatible. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's such a great analogy. It's true that our, our moments of greatest kind of passion and creativity come from bringing these disparate challenges together in one place and then a synergy manifests. You know, surfing is an example or sailing, um, but also just you're right in human, human relationships. It's the, it's the differences between ourselves and our partners that are what create something and also create conflict, but it's, it's where all the intimacy and depth and, you know, when people say that a marriage is more than the sum of its parts, it's because these differences come together and in our minds, we manage them and, and transition them into, we, we really craft them into something beautiful. That's where I think of surfing too, because it takes time before you can actually execute it in a way that it feels natural and you're in your groove. And in relationships, there's this whole idea of a honeymoon period, whereas actually many good relationships might start off a little bit rocky in some ways, but they smooth out over time as people make those adjustments. I call, I call them adjustment pains because sometimes you can confuse them with incompatibility, but if you take a look at the places where we're not balanced, let's say, and then you meet someone, you kind of have those adjustment pains in the places where both of you maybe need to become a little bit more fluid, a little bit more flexible. Well, but wait, because that sounds like the opposite of a honeymoon period. That's what I mean, that a lot of good relationships actually don't have that initial honeymoon period. And the honeymoon maybe comes gradually with time. As, as you... 
adjust to one another as you build into the relationship, as you learn to appreciate each other, as you let go of some of the fears that some important needs that you have may not be met. Amen. Are you a fan of Joseph Campbell at all? I am a fan. Well, he has this. There's this interview uh, from way back in the day, and somebody's asking him about marriage because the concept of marriage is fairly archetypal, and archetypes are his you know, bread and butter. And he's talking about this concept that he refers to as the second marriage. And what he means by that, it's sort of an awkward phrase, but what he means is it's the, it's the second, it's the reincarnation of the marriage with your first spouse or with your current spouse. And he believes that it comes at around year 20, roughly, roughly year 20. Couples get to a point in his view where they've, as you've said, been able to let go of enough of their fears and their challenges and their day-to-day strivings. And also, coincidentally, usually the kids have grown at that point. And the sort of zen-like state of acceptance and connection kicks in. And the intimacy level just goes through the roof. And, and, and I think the sex goes through the roof, too. And it, you know, it makes the honeymoon sex pale in comparison. It makes sense that as you feel more at ease together and more synchronous with one another, that that translates also into your sexual experience. Right, because that's where good sex comes from, isn't it? Is that, is that abs- the intimacy that comes from being known and not hiding anything? It's an interesting thought, right? Because it puts in perspective the very long-term process it's like, it's like aging wine or that's a, that's a, a very rote one to share, yeah. but anything that ages that becomes better, let's say, <laughs> right? That many times maybe we may cut something off prematurely without that, that perspective in mind that actually it could potentially keep getting better and better and better. Yeah. That, that is the, that is such a challenging inquiry though because when you're in that moment in a relationship where the cha- where where the conflicts are painful and you know you're con- you're wondering why the heck you got into this relationship to begin with like we all do at one point or another it's it's really hard to keep that perspective that well if i just stick it out in 20 or 30 years <laughs> mm-hmm. we're going to have this incredible intimacy it's just hard to on the other hand that's that it, it's true. It is available. I don't know if it's true for all relationships, but it's certainly true for many of them. Mm. So we, we actually just have three minutes left for this segment. So I'd love to just touch a little bit on your ideal mate doesn't exist. If you could talk to us a little bit more about that. Uh, it's one of my favorite concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it really just comes down to the idea to, to the, the fundamental human experience that we're all holding on to an internal image of what's perfect, of what we want. And that applies in all areas of our life, I think. But there's something peculiar, peculiar and, and unique about the way that we hold this ideal desire with regards to romantic partnership. We all have this image of this person that we want to meet, that we want to spend our lives with, who will understand us and will complete us and we'll be sexually passionate with. But the truth is that uh, there is no human being out there in the universe who can match up completely with this internal image. And the internal image isn't really meant to be manifest in reality because it's always changing to meet our ongoing needs. And that's great. I think it gives us a sense of something to strive for. It gives us a sense of value and relationship. But the challenge is that it, can, it gets in the way of our actual relationships. If we have a relationship with the internal ideal, sometimes we, we get stuck in comparison mode with our actual partners. And so I'd like to explore this concept with myself, with my own relationship, and with people that I talk to because I think there's something available in in loving who we're actually with that we can only get to by acknowledging our internal ideal and sharing that with our partners. So that's a quick explanation. 
It makes sense because we're all moving targets. That's right. So in a sense, <laughs> how can you define an ideal mate if your ideal version of yourself is an infinite experience in life? It's so well said. Yes, infinite <laughs> and ever-changing as we understand it. Yes, absolutely. Nobody could ever match that. <laughs> so it's well kind said. of like you cycle in and you cycle out, right? It's this whole notion that having a healthy relationship doesn't necessarily mean that it will last forever, forever, meaning however long you'll be in this lifetime. But it means that it'll kind of, it'll, it'll serve the best possible purpose that it can in the time that it exists. Yes, and it's a dance. You know, a relationship is a dance. You've got two people with completely different viewpoints on the universe and different agendas and different fears and concerns and abilities coming together. And the way that those, all of those come together is, is constantly shifting. You, it's not, you know, you can't take a photograph of a perfect couple and have that be life. It's got to it's be constantly adjusting and moving. And, and that dance can be elegant or, <laughs> you know, or not so elegant. We're going to hear more about this dance after we come back from commercial. But when we come back, Eric is going to talk about the value of conflict and fighting in a relationship. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with Eric Newton, who was a divorce lawyer for almost 10 years. Eric transfers the insights he gained in divorce court to helping couples have healthy relationships. He's the founder of Together, both a podcast and an online magazine that offer relationship stories and advice. Eric discussed the reason that your ideal mate doesn't exist. This segment will focus on the value of conflict and fighting in relationships. Eric, what are the ways that we can engage conflict positively with our significant others? Well, that's such a loaded question. You know, the, <laughs> we, had, we had this great couple on our show a couple of, uh, well, about a month ago. They're a famous relationship therapist couple. They're a couple, and they're also both therapists. And I asked them that exact question, and they both said, it's not possible because everybody wants to come into their office and say, you know, how can we have clean fights, good fights, productive fights? And they say, just let fights be fights. Fights are dirty and they're messy by their very nature. You know, conflict is painful by its If you try to make conflict not painful, it's not conflict anymore. <laughs> it sounds and to I, me, though, it could still be positive. Well, I, I think it is positive, but we have to acknowledge that it's still conflict, you know. In the end, it's the conflict that leads to intimacy. That's for absolute certain. And if you're in one of those relationships where you assiduously avoid conflict, you're not developing intimacy. And that's pretty well established in the research. But the, 
but but it is still painful. You know, you can't you you can't exercise without feeling a little bit of that lactic acid burn, and you can't have a conflict in a relationship uh, without experiencing the pain of it. I would guess also there has to be some base in a relationship for fighting to occur, for conflict to happen. That in some ways it's like this whole idea of how much weight can a relationship bear, and sometimes with relationships that inherently you know you just you know that they can't bear a lot of weight then you might not actually bring out some issues that would challenge the relationship would challenge you and this is at least how i experience it when you feel some element of safety in a relationship or if you actually cultivate that experience of safety within yourself then there's you you actually maybe are more likely to initiate conversation that might result in fighting or conflict. Right, because when you have that baseline of trust that what you say isn't going to be shamed or that your partner isn't going to walk out the door because you're addressing a difficult issue, then, yeah, you can bring up the more difficult issues, the ones that are more poignant and more deeply rooted to your unresolved internal dialogue. You know, that's that... I guess the other thing to say about that is that you'll know. You know, when you're in the moment, your relationship, the, the conflict that arises is the conflict that's appropriate. You know, it, that, that is the way we work. The conflict that arises is the conflict that needs to arise. And it's not like we have to stop and consider, well, is this one okay or not? What comes up naturally is probably the right thing to bring up. Is there any guidance that you can offer around how you can deal with conflict, how you can deal with fighting in a way that you can work with it for the benefit of the relationship rather than in a destructive way? Well, you know, definitely. The first step is to acknowledge what you just said, that you know, we're having inevitable, inevitable conflict, but... And it is inevitable. You know, it can't be avoided. There will be conflict. So there's nothing wrong with us that we're having it. Uh, But let's use it to deepen our relationship as opposed to ignoring it and letting it fester or allowing it to break us up. Let's use it to better understand one another. That's the first step. That's sort of the pre-frame. But then when a conflict arises, the the fundamental question, you know, the, the inquiry that the road that you're going to go down with yourself or with a therapist or with a with anybody who's giving you good advice on this kind of thing is pretty simple. It's what's the fear at work? What's the underlying risk that you're facing that's causing this conflict to be so relevant right now in this moment? And exploring that question is how we better understand our partners because then we see what drives them on a daily basis. And it's how we understand ourselves because it's the fears from which we're operating fundamentally that give so much of our personalities, that give so much of our daily actions. And getting in touch with them, understanding them, bringing them to the light, bringing them out of the unconsciousness into consciousness, this is how, this is how we work through them and let them go. And this is how we create intimacy. It makes sense that looking at the underlying, the fears that underlie conflict are, is really critical because it also helps you to distinguish which are the parts that you need to work through. You may be attributing a little bit more of the cause of the conflict to your partner when you also need to take a look at what are the things that you need to address that could be deep-rooted. Yeah, that's so absolutely right on. Absolutely. The... I mean, the fundamental thing to get there uh, to that point is that the experience that you're having is your experience. You know, the, when, you're, when you're angry, it's your anger. And now the input may be coming from the outside. Your partner may very well have done something that crosses a boundary, and you, by all means, should hold your boundary lines and express those to your partner in whatever terms you need so that they will hear them. But 
the emotional reaction that you are experiencing is, is your reaction. It belongs to you. You're responsible for it. You create it. It comes from and is sourced by you. You don't have to have that specific reaction. You could have a different reaction. That's the first place to come from in understanding uh, responsibility. The input may be from the other person. The reaction is yours. And that goes both ways. I'm going to ask you another loaded question. Yeah. Which is, from the vantage point that you have being involved with so many divorces, and I would guess that there was a lot of conflict in those divorces. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you see situations where you thought things could have gone a different way? Or they so far escalated at that point that it would have been hard to reverse that movement? That is a loaded question. I mean, I guess in some sense, everything can go another way. Um, on the other hand, you're right. By the time people got to our office, they usually had made up their minds. But the, the first question that we had with, I don't know if it was everybody, but certainly the vast majority of incoming clients, was really what you and I were discussing in the first segment of the show. It was just making sure people had given some thought to that there was another alternative, that working through the challenges could lead to a renaissance in their marriage, could lead to a deepening down the road. Uh, We always talked about couples therapy and the value of that. Uh, A lot of times people didn't want to hear that from us because, you know, when they're coming to the lawyer, they're coming to fight. But I, you know, I, I personally felt that it was incumbent upon me to at least explore it and make sure that people were going into what they were doing here with their eyes wide open. Were there any situations where the couples actually withdrew the divorce proceedings? Yeah, that happened a few times. I, not a ton. You know, I think in my whatever it was, eight or nine year career, it probably happened two or three times total. But, you know, most states have a waiting period where once you filed for your divorce, the state won't actually complete the divorce until this period of time has gone by. And that's for this exact reason. It's in the hopes that marriages will reconcile somehow. And I frankly always held out that hope. I don't have an agenda that couples need to stay together. I don't believe that that's the truth. I think it's healthy to move forward and it's healthy to stay together. It's healthy to do whatever the heck you want to do as long as you're doing it with your eyes wide open. But I certainly wanted to make sure people had given it some thought and that it was uh, available to them if that's what they were really looking for. And I, I could see how it also depends on how much there is in your relationship that binds you. How far removed maybe you've become from one another by the time you get to that point where you're filing for a divorce. And, you know, when you have conflict also, it begs that question. You, you need to dig, dig deep within yourself to feel, sometimes you don't have to dig, dig uh, that deep, but you have to feel like, oh, there's something coming back. It's like throwing a ball over a net and it comes back to you saying there's still volley in this. There's still life in this. I want to work it out. And it's kind of a flowering when you have that realization that, you don't want to let it go, that it shows you how much it means to you, how much it has value to you. When with that, with that conflict, actually, you're able to access that place where you realize that you want to, you want to put forth the effort. Yeah. Are you saying that it's the conflict is what makes you know that there's another person there and they're responsive in some way? It makes you know that actually you're there and that you want to continue being there. It's on, uh, it's on both true. ends, right? There has to be at least, sometimes in relationships, you have one person who's fighting for the relationship more than the other. And then maybe there's a switch off that, that occurs, but there has to be at least one person who's vested enough that they want, they're willing to put forth the effort. And the other person, even if they're not quite on the same level of investment, they're still invested to the point where they could be reached to rebound, to move forth with the relationship, to continue with it. What I'm saying is that conflict helps you to know also 
how, how, how valuable something is to you and whether or not you want to keep being in it, whether you want to keep working on it. It's such a great insight. Yeah, I think you're right because, the, again, if the conflict comes from the sense of fear, I mean, we didn't really explore that concept much, but, I mean, what I, what I mean when I say that is that something's at stake. You know, it might not be a fear as we normally think of that word, but it's as you're saying, we don't react if we don't care. You know, we don't care if, there's a, if there isn't something at stake in, in the situation, and that can loosely be referred to as a kind of a fear. And, and yeah, if there's conflict, it's because something's at risk. There's something there that you want to be one way, and it's, it could end up being another way. And that's scary. And you're right, that's a great indication of how much you actually care. Which is a great indication of who you are. You know, what do you care about? <laughs> you know, who are you? Mm-hmm. In this moment, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's great when you can discover, actually, that even within the conflict and within your questions and your doubt, that you can connect with that place where you feel like there's still more life to unfold in this relationship. I don't want to let it go. I love it. And I, I love the idea of unfolding as well. I mean, that, that is really where it arises from is, you know, a relationship just it does unfold and allowing it to unfold in the way that it will in its unique, beautiful way that two people come together and make something that couldn't be made in any other way or with any other two people. It's an unfolding. It's such a lovely image. It seems very much connected to what we'll be talking about in the next segment. You could be conflicted because maybe there's a need that you have, or like you said, a fear. You're worried that your need is not going to be met. And then you have to weigh that with, you know, how important the relationship is to you. Yeah. I do want to... Needs are a funny thing, though, aren't they? I mean, when we get really right down to it, our, our actual needs are so limited but we have these ideas that we need so many things from our partners that I'm not certain we do. I myself find a lot of peace in letting go of my quote-unquote needs. I think that's a good point because you can also discover with time that so many of the needs that you have in many ways you can provide for yourself or other people in your life also can provide. It doesn't yeah. have to come from one person. And it's not realistic for it to come from one person. It's, it, it never could. Yeah, that's a funny, as a segue, that's a funny idea that we've come up with in modern society, modern romantic culture, that our partners are supposed to provide everything for us. It's a, it's a relatively new concept historically. And I, I agree with you. I don't think it's quite possible for our partners to provide everything. So this is a lead-in, I think, to our next commercial And when we come back, Eric will address the fallacy that's rooted in playing the role of a martyr in your relationship and prioritizing your principles at the expense of your partnership. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by Eric Newton, a former divorce lawyer who founded a podcast and online magazine called Together to provide people with the knowledge and skills through which they can nurture healthy relationships. Eric discussed some of the valuable ways we can work with conflict to improve our relationships. This final segment will address the fallacy that's rooted in playing the role of a martyr in your relationships which means that you become fixated on your principles at the expense of your relationship. Eric, what kind of guidance can you give us around this fallacy? Well, you know, I've been thinking about the definition of a martyr. Let's start with that and then go into the idea of why it's nonsense. And for me, you know, I think I misspoke when we talked before. It's not so much about resting on principles for me, it's really, about, it's really about putting ourselves, feeling powerless and trying to create value for ourselves in relation to our partners. You know, saying, I do more work or I take more responsibility or, um, you, you know, I'm taking on more of a burden than my partner and so I should be valued more highly as a result. That's sort of the fundamental concept of martyrdom in a relationship context. And the, the reason it's such a, ch- a problem is that it creates uh, a passive-aggressive relationship dynamic. It creates, uh, which then leads to distance in a relationship. You know, it, it creates up, it sets up the sense that your partner should be um, loving you and respecting you for something that is kind of undefined that they might not even notice um, and you've got a whole value system based on whether they do or don't notice the way that you're martyring yourself. So is it the idea that your partner is not measuring up in your perspective? It's kind of a not good enough concept? I think, yeah, it might be the flip of it, of that. I, I it's not so much that your partner's not measuring up because that is where it ends up, but it starts in I'm doing more than they are and they're not noticing it. You know, I'm doing so much for this relationship and nobody else does any work around here. I'm the only one who cares. And it's such a funny concept because it's rooted in, it's rooted in the fallacy that, that there's some sort of objective value-making authority out there. Is there an you know, example you can share? I just like the dishes. You know, it, it often starts with the household chores. You know, the, a lot of times in our relationships, we go through phases where one person is a little bit more active than the other person. And, you know, if it becomes pr- chronic, talk about it. But what happens so often is you, know, you might do an extra set of chores in the house in a particular day, and, and you think to yourself, oh, that's a good thing to do. And then the next day you do a few more extra chores and you think, oh, wow, I wonder if my partner noticed that I did those extra chores. And then the next day you do some more chores and I don't think my partner notices the work I'm doing here and they're not doing any work. And it's at that point that you you have a crossroads. You know, at that point you can uh, talk about it, go say to your partner, hey, I feel like I'm doing too many of the chores. Can we balance this out? And then you can have a discussion about it. Um, is, it, is this an experience of appreciation, not feeling appreciated or recognized or seen for what you do, and then also experience that you're putting more into the relationship, you're investing more, you're putting more effort in than your partner is? Is that what you're describing? Yeah, that is the experience. But when that experience occurs, the question is, what do you do about it? And if you address it directly, that's probably the healthiest approach. And some of us choose to play the role of the silent martyr, hoping that our partner will notice it and having an internal dialogue about how we're better and they're worse. 
And that's that right there, that, that decision point where we go into that internal dialogue is what I say is rooted in such a deep fallacy. It's rooted in a fallacy that there is such a thing as better or worse in a relationship and that there's some objective authority that cares and that your partner is even going to ever notice. It's, it's, it's something that we all do, but it's such an unhealthy way to address a particular issue. So rather than building up resentment or some kind of other emotional load, the idea that it seems like you're conveying is just to communicate with your partner about what you're experiencing without blaming yeah. um, like owning your own experience. This is how I feel. This is what I'm observing. This is what I'm seeing. And just present it to them for observation. Yes, and it... it you know, it seems so simple when we say it, but it's it's so complicated when we're feeling it. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, when we say it out loud like this on the show, it's, it's obviously the answer is, you feel like you're doing too many dishes, go talk to your partner about it and get it worked out. You know, but when we're when we're stuck in it, uh, feeling put upon and. Uh, unappreciated, um, it's so easy to go down that dark hole of looking for more and more and more evidence about how this is just the case in our relationship. We always do the work. We're always the one who apologizes first, you know? <laughs> We're always the one who goes the extra mile to share appreciation. Our partner never does it. You could go right down that rabbit hole and be completely unself-aware. And really, all this you know, all this concept of the silent martyr is its just another way to notice when we're going down one of these rabbit holes and becoming unself-aware. There's always an opportunity to stop, take stock, and communicate. And it might be something that your partner is not even aware of. It, I think it usually isn't in this case. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, That's something you know, deliberate. But sometimes people really have this impression that it should be so obvious to the other person. So yeah. there must be some element of the deliberate in how the partner is behaving. How can they not see? How can they not notice? Uh, that's an interesting... You know, I think you're right. We, we do have this hope or this fantasy that our partners are just going to notice what they're supposed to notice. But if they don't, and they're chronically not noticing those things... Whose responsibility is it then to wake them up? I mean, if you want to be in the darned relationship, go talk to them. It actually costs nothing to start a conversation. It costs nothing but, well, and I guess this is where we get to the idea of principle. It costs nothing but principle. And your principle is not going to build a happy relationship. One of the common ones that I see is the issue of initiative. So if I'm, car- if I'm coming to the door and I'm carrying heavy bags, do I need to tell the par- my partner, hey, can you come and help me? Right? It's this whole idea that they're sometimes upset around this idea that, well, shouldn't the person, isn't it obvious, shouldn't the person know that in this situation, my aunt's in the hospital? Whatever it is that's happening in your life, that many people want to see initiative from their partner because they think that's an expression of caring. Right, And that's a learning curve that a lot of people go through, that sometimes you really literally have to ask directly for what it is that would be helpful to you. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. I, I mean, I can, I can imagine you coming in the door. You've been at the hospital all day long. Your partner is sitting there. Gosh, maybe he's even watching sports. And he's engrossed in whatever he's doing and you're carrying these heavy bags, and he doesn't even bother to get up and help you. And you think to yourself, what kind of person have I gotten into a relationship with that he wouldn't even notice this fundamental thing? Doesn't he care at all? And I, I totally get that. And, you know, he probably should get off his butt and help you with the bags. That is <laughs> probably true. <laughs> but the question isn't, should he get off his butt and get the bags? The question is, the question is, do you love him? 
And the question is, do you love him? Because if you love him and you want to be in the relationship, then help him to see where he's, where he's not expressing his care and appreciation for you in a way that you need him to. In that, in that example, he's clearly, mm-hmm. he's clearly, he's clearly kind of bring, being something of a dunderhead, for sure. But you're in a relationship with that guy. And you can either let him continue to be a dunderhead, or you can point it out to him, hopefully, loving, hopefully lovingly. And not to present uh, that type of stereotypical gender dynamic that, you know, it can happen in reverse also, right? Yeah, it's a pretty funny one. I mean, that's the, you bring up the important point that whenever these conversations do get addressed, we find that our partner has the same belief that they're the one who does all the work. <laughs> you know, he was just out all day building the fence in the backyard. And really, does he have to help you carry in the groceries too? Because he's been working all day and he just sat down to watch sports and can't you just let him do that for five minutes? <laughs> I, this, the second he's, he's home alone for, for a few minutes before you come back and then there's another assignment. Exactly. Like, you can't, you just constantly <laughs> pester the guy. Let him have five minutes, for goodness sakes. <laughs> no peace. I mean, it's always going to go both directions. And, and when we get our, uh, our fear mechanism out of the way and just have a conversation about it, we realize where we're, where we're both being sort of pig-headed. You know, it, it's... It, when we stop getting positional and angry and start just talking about the darn thing, you realize, oh, yeah, you know what? He did fix the fence all day. And, and he realizes, oh, and you know what? It's actually not that hard for me to get up and help you with some groceries. You right. Eventually, eventually you can get to that point where you don't feel like you have to wait for someone to take initiative. You can actually express what you want. And then actually with time, the other person might also take more initiative because they start to learn you, they start to understand your preferences and what's important to you. What are the ways that you experience love from them in a meaningful way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just this dialogue, you know, it, it's just the ongoing, this is, that's what, when people say relationships take work, that's what the, that's what it is. It's dialogue through these little conflicts that arise, these constant little conflicts. And if you talk about them, it, you know, it may seem silly to talk about it because it's such a small thing, but if you talk about it, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, the plaque doesn't build up. It's when you don't talk about it for a month or six months or whatever that suddenly you've got cavities. I was just at the dentist yesterday. That's what I'm thinking about, <laughs> cavities. <laughs> it's a great analogy. That The yeah. whole idea is like you're coming back to also the experiences that you had in divorce court is that you can also avoid that buildup that happens, even if, it's, even if you're embarrassed because you think something may come across as being really petty. You know, and it looks like maybe you're doing all of these calculations. Like, how much are you putting in and how much am I putting in? And you're, you're creating some kind of accounting system. Even if there's some kind of embarrassment or shame around it, it seems as though the, you're encouraging couples to have these, these conversations regularly. Yeah. And, and you know what I love about embarrassment is just being honest about it. I, 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 this is my favorite thing in my relationship when I'm feeling a little bit of shame or, or, you know, one of those sort of shy making emotions is I just tell her, I'll just tell her. And because there's this great freedom in not having to hide anything anymore. And there's this great intimacy in knowing that you can share these things that you're slightly embarrassed about with your partner and they still love you. That's one of the greatest realizations in a, in a, in a committed relationship. But they still love you, flaws and all. Eric, I can't get away from this image of the surfing when you <laughs> say that. Because it brings to mind this sense of ease, this skillfulness, this agility, flexibility, fluidity that you can develop through the suggestions that you offer today. Well, thanks for connecting those two for me. It, it's really, it, I'm going to hold that in my mind next time I'm surfing. And there's so much more that we didn't get to today. And I want to thank you so much. And I also want to encourage listeners to take more than a peek into your podcasts, 
called Together, and also your online magazine. There's so many wonderful articles and stories that I think are very artfully and thoughtfully put together. They're candid, they're personable, insightful, they're fun. I really appreciate you being with here with me today and also these wonderful resources that you offer. Thanks, Hamda. I, you know, I really appreciate that. I, I would, if your listeners uh, were to listen to my podcast, I would be so grateful to hear what they think. It's, uh, you can listen to the podcast at our website or on iTunes. The website, I think you mentioned it, but it's together.guide. And I'll repeat that, together.guide. Yeah, G-U-I-D-E. That's actually a domain extension. Great. I'll also welcome everyone, if, if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You could also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 